I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello Spring, roll on summer with Garden Man. The outdoor furniture superstore is now online with loads in stock from sofa sets to daybeds to sun loungers and plenty more that can be delivered for free this summer when you visit gardenman.co.uk slash podcast. This garden means that it's open to more people and more accessible to people that wouldn't normally see this type of garden. It's been an incredible sanctuary, especially over COVID. To come in last summer and it all be in bloom, it was like our own massive garden, wasn't it? It was, it was. I've actually been bowled away a bit by how positive people's responses have been. And it's really exciting just seeing abroad lots of different types of people coming in here. So you get families, you get RHS members. I've been bowled away by that. It's the future of gardening. It's uh, employment for the young people and somewhere for the people in the local area to come to. Uh, it's fantastic for the northwest. If you've been to Greater Manchester over the past few years, you may have noticed some exciting changes to the landscape and the sight of green thumbs everywhere. There's been a very special project in the works, the transformation of a huge green space into one of the largest gardening projects in Europe. RHS Garden Bridgewater. RHS Bridgewater Garden Project. Bridgewater. Flowers, shrubs, vegetables, rare plants, community gardens, experts, volunteers, horticulturalists. Our new garden near Salford in the northwest has brought together all types of growers and a fantastic array of greenery to create a truly unique space. And we're bringing you this week's edition of Gardening with the RHS from the site. I'm Sylvia Travers and I'm the team leader of the Inner Wall Garden. In today's show, I'm going to take you through some of the corners of our beautiful 154-acre green space. We'll hear from the people on the ground making it all happen, find out about the illustrious history of the site and showcase some of the highlights that make it a must-visit. I'm currently talking to you from my office in the Bothy, which is on the first floor. I have a bird's eye view of the garden from here. So I can see people walking around in the sunshine and I'm looking over the potting sheds right over the wall into the paradise garden and on into the kitchen garden. I started working here at the end of 2018 and the garden, well, it wasn't a garden. It was a a mud bath. There was nothing here. In fact, the ground level was a metre below where the formal gardens are now. The walls were just being finished, there was no drainage, there was no paths, nothing. And 
I can't believe the transformation that's happened in that period of time. Little by little, this place has changed dramatically into a working, beautiful space. And it's now been a week since we opened, and it's quite fantastic to share it with the public. Let's start today with some important people on site, the gardeners. Bridgewater is the biggest hands-on project the RHS has ever attempted. And of course it wouldn't have been possible without the hard work and dedication of our staff and volunteer gardeners. Let's head outside to meet some of them. I'm Helen and I'm a member of the horticultural team here at Bridgewater working on the woodlands and estates. We've got so much, we've got you know, areas for bug gardens, swales, streams, lakes, so there's going to be a lot of wildlife coming into those areas as well as the horticulture side of it. And definitely the wildlife is the key thing because I've just noticed in the wall garden, you know, we, we had nothing. Yeah. We just had hard standing, mud, nothing. And it's almost like they've all been waiting in the wings yeah. until this garden has happened to come back in and, and colonise it. Well, one thing I, I have noticed since we've come back into this is that since contractors have moved out, the birds have just, you can really hear them. And even with people moving around the garden, you always have that sound of birds here. I'm Nancy. And which area of the garden are you volunteering in? I'm volunteering in the woodland area. And so how long have you been coming here? Over three years. Wow, and it's amazing to see that this area was so wild when I started that it's beginning to look like a, you know, a proper woodland laid kind of garden, isn't it? And up by the lake with the streamside garden, there was days when there were diggers up there and I was stuck in the mud one day. And now it's a beautiful garden developing with all the lovely aces. How does it feel to be sharing it with the public now? Brilliant. It was exciting last week when they came in. Oh, that view is gorgeous now. My name is Nina Burden and I'm a level one horticulturalist in the Inner Wall Garden. You know, the garden has changed dramatically since you've been here. Yes. How has it been? What's it been like? It's been a lot of hard work, but very rewarding work, I'd say. It sounds corny, but to literally see it grow into itself has been an incredible learning opportunity. Mm. And uh, now that we're open to see people enjoying it, it's, it's fantastic. What's it been like to share it with visitors? What sort of reactions have you been getting? Really positive, really positive. Everyone can see the amount of work we've put in. They're just very happy to have like horticultural opportunities in the area because this is my local area and previously there wasn't really any kind of opportunities for particularly for young horticulturalists. Yeah, and um, it's been an interesting switch for us to get used to having public around because we've been in high-vis jackets and hard hats yes. for so long. And now Gosh, I can't find anyone because days. there's no one in high-vis anymore, so you just all blend into the greenery. I just hide behind the wall, yes. You hide behind the woad. <laughs> I couldn't find you yesterday. My name's Sharon, and I'm a volunteer. And so what does working here kind of mean to you? It means a lot to me because I retired from working in mental health so coming here was a totally different workplace and it's quite therapeutic and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I really look forward to it every week. The mastermind behind the Bridgewater site is landscape architect Tom Stewart-Smith. He's going to take us on a tour. There's this quite structured 
garden with a with a large formal lawn leading away from you with these huge great yew domes scattered over it. And your view of the garden is really framed through a large steel portal. Well, that in a way is a kind of reference to the Northern Industrial Heritage, but only in a very sort of slight way because it's, it's a very contemporary looking structure and it echoes very much the shape of Stephen Holder's building. And you have a wide panorama around from this quite structured planting. And as you sweep round to the east, you look over this new lake which really anchors the visitor building. When you walk into the garden, you have this sort of big expanse of herbaceous planting with willows and dogwoods and dome-shaped beech studded through it. But you're probably going to be heading for the walled garden because that is the sort of big ticket item. <laughs> and you come through this sort of outer layer of community gardens, and that's very, very central to the whole of Bridgewater. I would say much more so than it's ever been in any RHS garden. And that's signified by the fact that there is this sort of outer envelope of community gardens, which encloses the whole of the inner wall garden. So you'll see a lot of activity, gardening activity, of people who are not necessarily RHS staff, which is wonderful. Then you come through the vegetable garden, which has been designed by Charlotte Harris and Hugo Bug. And the end of the journey is the Paradise Garden, which is this, it's a big space surrounded by walls which are either three or four metres tall. It has glass houses on one side, and the middle of it is a huge open lily pond, about 17 metres square. So in some ways, it's rather ironic that the middle of the garden is actually an empty space. But I feel that's quite important because it's a kind of celebration of space in a way. And there's a, there'll be a real sense of, I have arrived. Paradise Garden Mastermind, Tom Stewart-Smith there. There are so many beautiful things to see in the garden at this time of year at Bridgewater. One thing that's really standing out right now are the blue Himalayan poppies in the Chinese Streamside Garden. The Streamside Garden is a particularly special part of the site as it's one of the few examples of Chinese horticulture on public display in the UK. Advisor Jerry Young was instrumental in bringing this plot to life. I believe that this is the largest Chinese garden project, if not the first ever Chinese garden project in UK. And the uniqueness of it is the fact that this is a collaboration between Irish Garden Bridgewater and China Flower Association, which is the equivalent of RHS in China. And they have been working on exchanging ideas, exchanging the design ideas. And not only that, I think that we will have in the future a proper Chinese, what they call a Yangzhou style classic Chinese garden architecture in the core of Chinese student garden, which is going to be a gift from China. So the whole thing is a harmonization of East meeting West. I mean, there are many different types of Chinese garden design architectures, but this one, the one that we've been chosen, is sort of more rustic nature, something that is not sort of colorful, but a natural wood color. This should be a setting with four buildings, signifying a certain poetic nature of China about books, music, 
drawing, painting, and so on. So there is a design concept which is done by a Chinese garden expert in Yangzhou, which they have already shared or sharing with RHS, and they're delighted about the whole thing. Well, now because of the involvement in this project, I've been doing a bit of reading on Chinese horticulture and how it has impact on the world. And apparently, there are some thirty-two thousand plant species which originated from China, and that accounts for about one eighth of all the total plant species found in the world. Now, some of these were exclusively found in China. Many cases they've been successfully transplanted all over the world, and so if you look at UK, for example, I mean, if you think about our most common garden flowers, shrubs, magnolia, chrysanthemum, camellias, rhododendron, jasmine, peonies, crab apple trees, winter sweets, there's a whole host of standard everyday garden flowers that you find. Which originated from China. Even the rose, the modern rose, is often a cross between the native rose in Britain, in England, and the Chinese rose. And there are also trees. I mean, jingle trees, dawn redwood. There's huge number of trees also are found in China, which has now been transplanted all over the world. What I also learned in this journey is that to call a garden a Chinese garden, you have to have four elements. One, you would have to have the water. Two is the rock. Three other plants and garden architectures. So I think we'll have to wait for all these four elements to be put together before we can call it a proper Chinese garden. Chinese streamside garden will eventually be. As the garden grows, I think it will be right in the center of it, and I think that you will see in time to come a classic Chinese garden with many horticultural aspects. You know, the trees and plants and so on that came from China. You can see a, a cosmosome of this Chinese garden, traditional Chinese garden with the original Chinese trees and shrubs within a English woodland. And harmonizing with it, and I think that's amazing. Thanks, Jerry. Throughout the development of the garden, we've been working hard to protect its significant history. It's a place that's been visited by royals and was at one point even a part of the Allies' war effort, as Fiona Davison explains. Bridgewater was originally an estate called Worsley, and it was set up under the Third Duke of Bridgewater, and he was a major figure in the Industrial Revolution. Owned lots of coal mines and coal reserves, and built the Bridgewater Canal, which runs alongside the garden, which was the first truly man-made canal. So it didn't rely on a natural river; it's completely man-made to move coal from his coal mines to Liverpool and Manchester, and he became filthy rich in the process, and his. Descendants then developed this estate into a really magnificent house and garden. 
the Worsley estate was at its peak between about 1840 and 1890. The first Earl of Ellesmere moved in and built the new hall, which was an amazing Gothic mansion, and over a period of about 50 years, developed the garden to fit in to suit this amazing house and employed the finest garden designers of the day, including William Andrews Nestfield, who worked on the RHS gardens at Kensington. He employed the architect who refurbished Buckingham Palace, so no money was spared. Had a team of around 30, 34 gardeners working full-time on this amazing estate. It was really a flagship garden of the time, and, and it was a place for lavish entertaining as well. And Queen Victoria visited twice, and the first time she came in 1851, they actually dyed the Ellesmere Canal bright blue so she could sail into the garden, and there were floral arches and brass bands, whole nine yards, whole works. In the First World War, the Earls of Ellesmere lent the house to the Red Cross and it was a hospital for wounded soldiers but then after that in the 1920s a combination of death duties and taxes mining activity meant the house suffered from subsidence and then there was a fire and then the Second World War came and the house was given over to the army and to the US Army stationed soldiers there in preparation for D-Day and it got very badly looked after the house was trashed and eventually the house was demolished between 1946 and 1949. And what's really sad about that story, because this happens at estates and gardens all over the country at this time, but what's really sad for me about this story is that the head gardener who'd worked there since 1866, his name was William Barber Upjohn, had retired and he, he retired in 1914 but stayed in the gardener's house in retirement and so he was watching this garden that he'd worked so hard on decay all around him and he managed to keep his own little plot around his house immaculate apparently but the rest of the garden just went to rack and ruin and it just must have been heartbreaking for him this magnificent set piece high victorian garden with ornate beds and a boating lake and an 11 acre kitchen garden just completely derelict until the rhs came along and rescued it what's really great is that there's a big program of restoration and it's not a restoration in terms of trying to get the garden back the way it was it's not like a historical reenactment it's a new vision for the garden but taking some of the core elements the kitchen garden the ornamental lake and the woodland and just reimagining them from modern audiences and modern times and modern purposes so there's a big emphasis on health and well-being and on being useful to the local communities for training and for enjoyment and education so i think it's really fantastic that a garden that had been built and kept up for the enjoyment of a very small number of people is now something much more accessible and much more useful to lots and lots of people. Thanks Fiona. The kitchen garden at Bridgewater is the area I feel the most connected to. It's something that's really close to my heart in terms of food growing, but also just the walls. The walls are really special because we can see the nail holes from the previous wires that would have trained fruit trees and other plants here. And it's just a really beautiful thing to feel that we're repeating history in a different century, but using the same techniques that would have been used over 150 years ago. 
The garden has been open for just under a month now, and there's a real buzz about the place. But let's revisit the day we opened our doors for the first time. Our roving reporter, Chris Young, was here, and he caught up with RHS Director General Sue Biggs about her original vision for the garden. Sue, we're here at last at RHS Garden Bridgewater on what is unquestionably one of the most special days of recent RHS history. It's the first day of opening and we've managed to find a quiet corner with people coming into the garden uh, and actually it's beginning to fill up. So it's an amazing day. In a word, and you're not allowed to use the word relieved, how do you feel about Bridgewater now being opened? ecstatic (laughs) (laughs) it's better than relieved it's yes it's just so joyous and joyful everybody coming here watch them coming in through the entrance everybody's got a big smile on their face and then when i was talking to some members in the garden just now they just can't believe it they're so glad that we came to the northwest Mm. and i'm so glad we came to the northwest too Mm. We'll be talking about that in a minute, but what a journey. How long has it taken the RHS to get to this point? Give us a bit of the background. Well, it was January 2015. Jim Gardner, our Director of Horticulture then, and I stood above the terraces and looked down at this 154 acres of brambles and overgrown rhododendrons and and just thought, this is it. Because even though it was raining and you couldn't really see much, there is a magic about this place and once we then met the people of Salford, there was no turning back. But then, of course, it's taken us literally from then six years to get to where we are today. Wow. And what a lot of hard work it is. And anybody coming will see the garden is absolutely beautiful. But what was it about this fifth garden? Because I've been around a bit and you've been around yeah. a bit. And we've, people have always <laughs> talked about the fifth garden as this yeah. kind of mythical the being. Absolutely. Sort of thing. But what was it? What, what, what was the driver? It seemed to me when I joined 10 years ago that we had four beautiful gardens, three of them in the south, one in North Yorkshire, and this huge swathe of millions of people living between Birmingham and Manchester. So the West Midlands, the North West, apart from Tatton Park Flower Show, which is lovely, we didn't have any real presence in those hugely populated areas. So when we decided to look for a fifth garden, we were very strict with ourselves and said it could only be on that line. We've spoken, I've seen you writing, people have been on television about it. There is this kind of real genuine link between this garden and the people of Salford, isn't there? I mean, there is a genuine feeling here. Almost everybody I meet from Salford has been here when it was the garden centre or they've had dogs here. Or scouts. The scouts camp. So there's a great deal of affection for this space. And I think, in all honesty, there was probably a deal of nervousness at the beginning of what were we going to do with their precious land. Yes, yeah. And we very deliberately, it was a very conscious choice that we wanted the Fifth Garden to be for the community and of the community, not that it was the RHS flying in from outer yeah, space and landing, landing in Salford, <laughs> which would have been shocking. And things like the cycleway that's now running past the garden, the fact that we've got a bus service coming from Manchester city centre to come out here, we're trying to get more and more green travel and that link to the environment, to the planet, to nature, it's really important here. The building's sustainable, isn't it? Yes. You know, our practices Beautiful are sustainable. green roof. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's, we do that at other gardens. But here it was imperative from the outset, that sustainability, Absolutely. treading more lightly on the land. It was much more of that. And because young people are so concerned, and rightly so, about the future of the planet, 
it was with them really that we were building it in mind mm. of you know if we're handing on to our children our children's children what would they think if we carried on building in old ways yeah. and so yes there is a tangible difference here from other rhs gardens and we've learned a lot about i was going to say have you learned things that you will yeah, put back into other gardens absolutely and you know that growth of the biomass boilers the green roofs all of those sort of things but also sustainability and the environment isn't just about plants and climate change it's also about people Mm. and mm. how we interact with the local communities. We have learned so much from the people of Salford. And I want to hear about some of the spaces in the garden. That links to yeah. what you're talking about, community. We've got a learning garden for children and a wellbeing garden. So they're to help people learn for people who've had challenges. And what better time Absolutely. after the terrible time we've all had with COVID. That wellbeing garden and the social prescribing that we've been doing here, trialling in, in Bridgewater, mm. that will also spread to other gardens. So we'll actually be getting members of the community to come in. It won't be this gated feeling that they have to pay Absolutely to... Absolutely So obviously members and visitors can pay to come in, but actually the community who want to be uh, using the garden, growing, healing, yes. they're allowed to come in and Absolutely. use the space. They can come in and use the space. And indeed, every resident of Salford can come in for free whenever they like on a Tuesday. Wow. So that, That's pretty different. Uh, that's, that's also different. So kind of the work really begins now because yes. this place comes alive. Is the garden finished? Is there more to do? It's absolutely not finished. We have over there, if we look up towards and past the Bothy over there, there'll be an arboretum up there. Wow. And we also hope that we will be able to build a learning centre, which I think is really key for the next generation. But also, and I think possibly the most exciting thing of all, I hope somebody listening to this has got a spare 20 million. Yes. For, yes, did you, Chris? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think on the foundations of the old house, which is still there and protected, I would love to have a reinforced, obviously, glass floor and a tropical glass house up there overlooking the terraces and down to the lake. So there is at least another 20 years of development here. Well, Sue, the great thing about you is you never stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you always dream big, and I love the idea that we we've got to try and find twenty million to put a glass out at the top of the garden. But um, maybe for today, let's just yeah. enjoy what we've got. Yes, exactly. But Sue, as, as ever, thank you very, very much for your time. A real pleasure, thank you. I'm really excited about the garden over the next few months because it's still really early in the summer, and there's so much still to grow and to plant and to harvest and also to see and hopefully we'll get a really good late summer and early autumn. If you'd like to know more about RHS Garden Bridgewater and for links on how to visit, then have a look at our show notes or head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Sylvia Travers. Hope to see you at Bridgewater sometime soon. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. 
and I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.